Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. The Nationals got their man with the number five overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft and outfielder Elijah Green. Hello, everyone. Good night. Good evening. Welcome into a late night edition of the Masson All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jennings coming at you live from our Masson web studio. We are live on the Masson Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. So hopefully you're staying up late with us as the MLB draft gets underway tonight and continues over the next couple of days. Amy, the Nationals had a top five pick for the first time since drafting Bryce Harper number one overall in 2010, a top 10 pick for the first time since drafting Anthony Rendon at number six overall in 2011, and they come away with a top prospect that maybe should have gone higher than he did at number five in Elijah Green. Yeah, it's really exciting I mean when you're at number five you know you're gonna get a great player and most likely the player that you want but you don't really necessarily know how the cookie's gonna crumble and this year you didn't necessarily know who was gonna be there at five and I think taking Kumar Rocker at three threw things off a little bit and so they had quite a few really talented players there Elijah Green what you could say fell to them and they're getting a great great talent out of IMG Academy and in Elijah Green. Yeah, we want to hear your thoughts throughout the course of the night. Like I said, if you're staying up late with us, be sure to comment along on Facebook and YouTube. We'll be monitoring them throughout the course of the podcast. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to the Texas Rangers for making the splash of the night. The, maybe not splash, surprise of the night. Mm-hmm. Number three overall, taking Kumar Rocker, who of course was drafted last year, right before the Nationals picked at number 11 and number 10 overall by the New York Mets. When didn't sign this year. right <laughs> didn't sign last year uh because of some health issues and uh then the, now the rangers now get back-to-back vanderbilt pitchers and back-to-back drafts with their first pick in the first round and that shakes up the whole top five elijah green was projected by mlb pipeline to be the number three top prospect in this draft if not higher um he has five tool potential plays a great outfield very fast um it's you know you that's why Amy, like these mock drafts, but they're all fun and they're all so fun to talk about over the first couple of months leading up to the draft, and especially the week leading up to. You got a lot of final guys who have conversations with people throughout the course of the the league, um, but you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know until draft night. And with a top five pick like the Nationals had, it is exciting uh, to have such a high draft pick, knowing where the Nationals are right now. They, ha- like I said, they haven't had this high of a pick. Uh, since they took Anthony Rendon at number six overall. Brady House last year went number 11 overall. Uh, And that was an instance too, Amy, where we thought that Brady House kind of fell to the Nationals at number 11. He was projected to go a lot higher as one of the top uh, prep bats in in the country. Now Elijah Green, outfielder, falls to them at number five. Um, You know, it's hard to say right now where he will fall in the Nationals' top prospects. This is, of course, a farm system that is not really up to stuff or what it has used to be and they are ranked in the bottom half of the league uh, in terms of overall farm system but this is a type of draft pick 
a guy that slips to you at number five overall that really can boost your whole entire farm system. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this kid has superstar potential. You just look at him. He is a physical yes. specimen. Of course, the son of a former Pro Bowl uh, NFL tight end. So he definitely fits the part and looks the part. And really going into this season, or really even early on in the high school season, Elijah Green was possibly the top prospect in going into this draft i mean people really thought that he was the best option out of this entire list obviously he he fell quite a bit and that's mostly due to how often he strikes out um but he definitely hits for power and that's just a part of his game it's something he's obviously gonna have to work on but striking out might always be a part of his game but when he hits for so much power he has the speed that he does he plays the quality center field that he does you gotta like what you got going through his great tools uh, ranking on, on a 20 to 80 scale. He hits for 50, got a 60 power, like you mentioned, has a lot of power upside. 70 run, he's very fast. Help, of course, helps on the base paths and in the outfield. A 60 arm, helpful in the outfield. And a 60 fielding and overall a 60 grade tool uh, for Elijah Green um, coming out, of, like you said, IMG Academy in Florida. Had a commitment to the University of Miami. See if the Nationals be able to sign him away from that commitment. You would expect so going that high in the draft um we, we heard from elijah green you and i were on the zoom call with him when he talk, spoke to the media we'll hear from him in a little bit we cut up a couple of those sound bites when he spoke to the media but w- one of the ones that kind of stuck out to me amy was he, he he as an outfielder kind of addressed the outfielders of the current nationals and nationals past and some other superstar outfielders that he compared his game to he compared his game to mike trout so confident kid in Elijah <laughs> Green, but he just in that you know he does a little bit of everything really well, and that's kind of the potential he's looking to grow into, where he's a great fielder, hits for power, gets on base, is a threat threat on the base paths, and then of course he also alluded to the Nationals' history with outfielders, um, and currently with Juan Soto drafting and developing Bryce Harper, number one overall, and obviously an MVP in his own right now with the Phillies, but you know he's aware of the significance of being an outfielder drafted this high by this by this franchise, Juan Soto, of course, an international signee, but the point remains the same, is that they have developed outfielders and really good power-hitting outfielders very well, and Elijah Green hopes to be the next one coming up. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a little bit, I don't know, maybe insightful of him. He, you know, he addressed the players that he already knows within the organization in, in Brady House and TJ White, but he also addressed... The, the outfielders that have come up through this organization and addressed, you know, that's the position I play. This organization has been able to produce, produce really great outfielders at the highest level. So I thought that was really important that he acknowledged that and he's aware of that, especially since this is the team that he is going to. But yeah, just like you mentioned, those tools right there, the speed I think is a little bit surprising given his size, but he stole 15 bases this season and his speed really is his best tool. He hit 462 in his 25 games with IMG with 32 RBIs. And I mentioned the strikeouts and Mm -hmm. that's kind of where he gets a lot of knocks on his game. But you do have to acknowledge that he's playing for IMG and he's seeing, you know, higher velo, more talented pitchers that even Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday, the other high school players that went ahead of him in this draft were seeing you know the competition level is advanced so yes he was striking out yes you can say you know he maybe wasn't necessarily hitting as well at high school so how is he going to see professional professional pitching but 
he did play at IMG, and I think that's important to acknowledge that the talent there that they see is on a different level than some of these other high schoolers. Yeah, that run tool is pretty incredible that he's already 18 years old and already has a 70 grade on that scale. He hit 381 at IMG, and we didn't mention yet he's the son of former Pro Bowl tight end Eric Green, so he's got some obviously some athleticism in mm-hmm. his family genes. Um, he was asked also, like, why didn't you stick with football? And he said, I just didn't really like football. I like baseball better. And when you're 6'3", <laughs> at 18 years old, and 225 pounds, I mean, that is a, on a fast track to becoming a, a very dominant baseball player if you, all the tools hit. Right. If you're already a, projected to be a five-tool player and you're playing a good center field, it's not like you're drafting this big power slugging outfielder and then you have to stick him in right field for his career. He has the potential to be able to be, you know, an all-star defender in center field, you know, right. the highest value position in the outfield. And that's a good sign too, where you're getting not just hitting and running, but you're also getting defense. You're it, when you talk about a power outfielder, a lot of the times you're hearing guys, oh, they might have to move, make a move to first base, or they might have to eventually become a DH, or they'll build, play right field for the first part of their career. No, this guy is athletic enough and fast enough and has a strong enough arm where he can play center exactly. field from the get-go. Yeah, and it's something, you know, hopefully once he gets into the system, working on his pitch recognition, seeing curveballs better, seeing sinkers better, um, you know, he'll be able to develop into a better hitter, striking out less, shortening his swing. Um, but, you know, that all comes with it. But you have something to work with. And, you know, above all, you look at him, 6'3", 225. The kid has the body to be a Major League Baseball player. And some scouts have been said, or there are some reports out there that he – could have one of the biggest boom potentials in this draft, and he could be one of the best players coming out of this class. Um, and his floor, you mentioned the strikeouts, might be, on the other hand, lower than some of the other guys too, just because there is that potential that the, picnic, the pitch recognition doesn't show up, like you mentioned. He takes a little longer to develop maybe. Um, maybe he loses his speed, something like that. Maybe he's not can't adjust to you know fielding fly balls and uh, off major league bats, whatever it may be. But the ceiling is there. I mean, you would trade that potential exactly. unlikely low floor for a very likely high ceiling. Exactly. And, you you know, you there's players in the MLB who make careers out of hitting home yeah. runs and striking out. Obviously, that's not what you want, especially out of a top five um, draft pick. But there's guys in the, in the pros that have made careers out of that. But you, you, there's a very high ceiling there. There's a lot of possibility. And what I liked what he said in his press conference was about being a leader. I really yeah. like that him, you know, he, he already has that idea going in that he wants to be the man in the clubhouse and be a leader. And I think that's really important in getting such a high draft pick as well yeah you were you're drafting the person to it and like i said he 18 year old had a lot of charisma a lot of confidence coming off him while he's speaking to the media in dc for the first time like he, he was at the draft so you know there's still a lot going on around him but he was able to you know formulate good answers think about his responses it was we were both and i were, you and i were on the call and you'll hear this in a minute but like it was like kind of hard to hear because there's so much commotion still going around there obviously uh but very composed thoughtful kid so you're also drafting the player the, the person not just the player exactly. um, and we know that how much Mike Rizzo values character and the people that he brings into the organization and then allows them to develop from there um, but you know we've talked about Elijah Green that's your brief introduction to him let's hear from Elijah himself we've talked about it a couple of times we've teased it Elijah met with the media via zoom from the Major League Baseball draft in LA here's what he had to say oh, it was definitely a truly blessing because 
you know, just all my life I've been working for this goal. This has always been one of my goals all my life. And just to be called by the Washington Nationals is truly a blessing. So I'm going to go up there and work hard and just try to bring a championship back to Washington. Okay, welcome. Um, we've all read the scouting reports, but how would you describe yourself as a player in your own words? Uh, I would describe myself as a competitive guy, always wants to win, professional, always doing work on the field, um, always doing the right thing on the field, um, going to be a leader, just a guy who's always going to bring everybody up in the group and everybody's going to gravitate towards me, so I'm that type of guy. Do you have any uh, player comparisons that you've heard about yourself or that you would like to compare yourself to? Um, I kind of like compare myself to Mike Trout because I feel like we kind of do it all the same way. Like we both go get the baseball, we both have hoses, we have great arms, we both hit for power, hit for contact, all that. So I feel like I can, I can compare myself to Mike I was wondering if you um, already know any players either on the Nats um, or within the organization. Um, I know Brady House quite a bit and um, TJ White. Those those two are definitely nice. How do you know them already? And um, have they reached out to you? What kind of relationship do you have with them? Um, my, my mom actually knows TJ White's mom. They like communicate a lot. But I mean, I haven't talked to Brady in a long time. We've talked before and just checking up on each other, see how he's doing. For those of you watching along with us, you can tell that Elijah Green, in that little vertical video off of iPhone with his AirPods in <laughs> and it's grainy and it's like hard to hear but he just fills up the screen and we, we hopped on and he you know Elijah Green first appeared on the Zoom call Amy the first thing you said <laughs> here in the studio was good god he's big <laughs> yeah, he is big I mean he and it's I'm glad somebody asked him about you know dad played football of course yeah. i'm glad somebody asked him about that and you know why he decided not to play football because he could be a football player mm -hmm. um at that size and you know he said he just didn't love football um it, like he loved baseball but he's huge he, is, he huge. is huge and i oftentimes if you when you get a guy that big their speed is not their best tool yeah but you're kind of getting a whole package here with elijah green they basically drafted a horse to play center field for the florida complex league nationals later on in this year um rounding out the top five uh in the draft jackson holiday goes to the orioles number one overall a shortstop out of oklahoma drew jones uh, out of Georgia, goes to the Arizona Diamondbacks at number two overall. Kumar Rocker, we already talked about, surprisingly, goes number three overall to the Rangers. And Tamar Johnson goes to the Pirates just ahead of Elijah Green. So once Kumar Rocker went off the board, Amy, we kind of had an idea that, all right, the Nats are going to have their pick between Johnson and Green. Mm -hmm. um, or whoever, or Brooks Lee was available, Jacob Berry was available, um, uh, uh, the catcher out of Georgia Tech was still Kevin available, Brada, Kevin Brada. Yep. So the Nationals surprisingly had their select of guys. Are you surprised, not in that they went Elijah Green, but are you surprised that they went high school bat as opposed to maybe a college bat? I'm not surprised just because Elijah Green was there. Yeah. And I think I kind of it had in my head all along, if Elijah Green was there, that's who they were going to take. And it kind of worked out, worked out that way. And I don't think they could have, you know, passed on Elijah Green. I'm surprised Brooks Lee, when we're talking about college bats, dropped as far as he did. I'm surprised Kevin Parada dropped as far as he did. Those are two really solid college bats. But I just don't think you can pass on the 
potential that Elijah Green brings to the table. Yeah, we have someone commenting on Facebook that uh, Grizzo picks a high school kid makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make sense. Like, I think you put it perfectly. Because Elijah Green was there, you kind of have to take Elijah mm-hmm. Green. Is he further along? Yes. Is he going to take a little while longer to reach the major league level? Yes. I guess your only, my only argument would be why to go college bats because if you look at the state of the franchise and you're trying to uh, make this rebuild wrap up faster than others are projecting, you might want to get a more experienced bat and someone who is closer to the major league level, someone who could find themselves at possibly low single A, if not high A, by the end of the season, if not start there next year and work their way up as fast as okay Cavalli did uh, through the system. Yeah, the only way I kind of understand that comment is that if you you think that, you know, you have more information on a college bat, they're easier to project, True. you know what you're getting, you know, compared to an Elijah Green who does leave some questions about will he be able to hit at the major league level because he strikes out so much. I can kind of get that, but just like you said, I mean, this isn't a team that's really ready to complete and it's almost a farm system that's I mean, completely deflated and ranks among the last in the league. So you're not really going after a player here where that you think is going to contribute, you know, super soon. Um, this rebuild, I, unless you're saying, you know, you think this rebuild is going to be really short mm-hmm. and one player is going to be able to make the difference. But, yeah. you know, that's not the case. Um, so I kind of get it on, you know, projectability. But, you know, realistically, you have to take the best player available and, I think that was Elijah Green. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the, the sentiment that because Elijah Green was there, you kind of have to make that choice. We, I, I think you were too. I was going into the night thinking Green, Tamar Johnson, um, obviously Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones were not going to be there. So the best of the top 10 prospects were probably going to be uh, your Paradas, um, your Brooks Lees. Uh, so you take a more experienced bat there to help you. But because these guys with more potential were available, I think you can't – it's too tempting to get a higher upside even though it might take a year or two longer for them to be ready. Right. I mean, and also echoing what I said earlier – Yes, he's a high school player, but he played at IMG. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely, I mean, that is just the way they are able to produce players down there is completely different than, you know, playing in, you know, the high school league that even Drew Jones played in. I mean, the the competitiveness of those, you know, the difference in those schools is major. Um, So you could... Some of the pitching you could say you could, he saw you could say was maybe even JUCO level, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so it's not just your regular high school player. Yes, a high school player. Yes, younger, but he's he's played in more competitive games and seen some better pitching than a lot of these guys have. Yeah, for those of you who may not know, IMG Academy is essentially a sports high school in Florida. They pull from across the country, and the best athletes they they get a edu- high school education, mm-hmm. but they're there to play. A sport and go on there they excel in football basketball baseball plenty of women's sports as well and they are able to because they're not affiliated with any single league division whatever in florida they get to pick who they play on a yearly basis and they play the best of the best and that's all who they play so like you said yeah he probably played the top echelon of high school right. baseball in the country not just florida the mm-hmm. country um, and let's take a look at some of the former top five picks the nationals have had in their franchise's history, of course, Elijah Green today in 2022 goes fifth overall. You have to go all the way back to 2010 when the Nationals drafted someone by the name of Bryce Harper. First overall, the year before that in 09, Steven Strasburg first overall. And then back in 05, 
Ryan Zimmerman, number four overall third base. I don't want to get anyone too excited, Amy, but I think it's worth mentioning. You look at these lists of guys. Two of those guys, of course, aside from Elijah Green, and you can also add in Anthony Rendon, who went number six overall in 2011. Mm -hmm. So three of those guys were contributors to a major uh, a World Series winning roster. Steven Strasburg being the MVP of that. Uh, Anthony Rendon being one of the offensive leaders and Ryan Zimmerman being the clubhouse leader hitting the first home run mm-hmm. in World Series and that's World Series history. And then of course Bryce Harper was the face of this team becoming relevant and competitive in 2012, um, winning an MVP in 2015. So the Nationals we've talked last year when it came to Brady House and even the year before that when it came to Kate Cavalli, how the Nationals really need to hit on these picks, but those were later picks. They have done really well when they pick this high. It's been a while, but the record shows when they pick high, they mm-hmm. nail their guys pretty good, and they, they know how to scout these guys. I mean, it's easy to say, right? You get a higher draft pick, higher chances that you get an right. impact player, but I don't think it's it's worth noting that those guys all contributed to winning teams, and three of, three or four won a World Series. Right. I mean, it's pretty often that guys miss with top 10 picks. I mean, that's not you know absurd so to be able to pick well at the top of the first round you know there's something to be said about that too and it's even harder to pick at the back end of the first round which the nationals have kind of gotten used to over the last few years but yeah the highest pick here um in quite a few years and i think that's kind of exciting and the nationals i mean i'm just really happy they didn't pick a hurts pitcher i was gonna say (laughs) i like had this like weird feeling i was like if they take dylan lesko with this pick i will just die but they didn't and i think they went with the best player available that's yeah that's i mean we can look at some of the former pitchers that they've picked in the first round but all those overall numbers were later rounds i mean they haven't picked a pick a pitcher that high since steven strasburg right right? so because all those years of being competitive they've been in later rounds Mm -hmm. this was not a very pitcher deep class it was going to be a bat it was like 99 percent chance Mm -hmm. to be a bat if they had picked a pitcher here we'd be having a very different (laughs) and not as fun podcast right now um i was gonna say i'm glad they did not have to pick between kumar rocker i think they would have absolutely passed over him and still picked a bat but like we're talking you know back to kind of the tie these two conversations together talking about drafting well up high Kumar Rocker could very well be a very good pitcher and you know or a superstar we we don't know but just the track record over the past year for him doesn't bode well for that and so if I'm a Nationals fan or if I'm a Rangers fan right now I'm confused and a little upset that you went that high for a guy that was projected to maybe even fall out of the first round like on one hand you're he out of this whole list of people that in the first round, he is the closest to being major league ready. Yes. yes. He's the closest to contributing True. A ma- to a major league team. But on the other hand, you're taking a hurt pitcher who had mm-hmm. surgery this off season, hit his surgery this off season at number three. Yeah. Higher than he went the first time. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just, it's, uh, uh, I just it, really caught me by surprise. Yeah. Very. I think caught everyone by surprise. And we were sitting here after, because we're, we're, we share a web studio with, with the O's bros. And after they finished up their coverage of the Orioles' number one pick, they were sitting here thinking maybe Kumar Rocker will fall to the Orioles in the second round. for their they, Orioles have like four picks tonight. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Orioles will scoop them up. And then boom, Kumar Rocker goes three overall. And again, we talked about it, that helped the Nationals land Elijah Green, which we'll not complain about up here, but it's just like makes you wonder like, 
That's the kind of pick that the Nationals have not made when they select this high. They do not make a very questionable pick. I don't think we'll, no matter how Elijah Green's uh, career ends up, this was the right, a good pick. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could be a bust, but in the moment right now, that was a no-brainer right, to you pick can't, him. I mean, you can't look at this list and be upset that they right. you, they went with him. But Kamar Rocker immediately comes with question marks. Yeah. There's no question marks right now with, as of July 17, 2022, right. around Elijah Green at yeah. 5. And something that stuck with me is Mason Albright, who played at IMG, pitcher, went to the Angels last year, was Elijah Green's teammate. And he was like, Elijah Green has to be the number one pick this year. Like, he is the best player I have ever seen. Um, and obviously, like I've said, you're, you're seeing some good competition. Now he plays in a, in a major league organization. You know, he sees a lot of talent. And he said he's still the best player I've ever seen. Um, so I think that just goes to show you, regardless of the strikeouts this year, regardless of how he's fallen, he is a good player, and I think it's a solid pick. And I'm just glad their pick didn't come with any question marks yes. at number five. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's 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 a good. I think we can all agree it's a good pick, even if it is a high school bat. Sure, it might take him an extra year or two, but we saw Brady House before he had to deal with a couple of injuries this year have a really good start to the season at high or low single A Fredericksburg and possibly find his way up to Wilmington, maybe even Harrisburg by the end of the season. That's not going to happen right now, but he was on that uh, trajectory. Uh, let's look at the past first-round picks by the Nationals. Like I said, Brady House last year, 11th overall. 2020, the shortened draft. Kate Cavalli slipped to them at 22nd overall. That's like three picks, three drafts in mm -hmm. a row where the Nationals' first-round pick, we felt, kind of fell to them. But all three of these guys were projected to go higher than 22nd, 11th, and now 5th overall. Um, and then back in 2019, Jackson Rutledge, 17th overall. And 2018, Mason Denenberg, 27th overall, who's actually now, after going on, undergoing Tommy John surgery last year, actually having a couple of good outings at Fredericksburg mm -hmm. uh, coming back from his injury. So that's an encouraging sign. But, again, going back to these guys slipping to them, I mean, you can never fully project a draft, especially the baseball draft. Mm. Um, and having guys like Cavalli and House and now Elijah Green, who we feel like, slipped to the Nationals. The Nationals may have gotten lucky with them. That's a good way to, I'm not going to say speed up this rebuild, but give it a boost and, and, and help it. I mean, it's going to help this farm system um, in, a, in a big way. Right, and it's important. Like these next very few years important. are going to be important because the Nationals are going to have a very high pick again next year. Um, and at this point in time, I mean, the last few years, the fir their first round pick wasn't as important. Right. You know, they weren't focused on replenishing a farm system that wasn't important to their ball as important to their ball club at that point in time. Right. We were focused on free agent signings and what they were going to get at the trade deadline so that they could compete. But at this point, things have completely switched, and that's okay. And it's almost really exciting, you know, that the Nationals are going to have really that have top picks and be able to get this talent. But there's so much more focus, and it's way more important, and they can't miss on these picks. And I'm Right now, it looks like they did not. Yeah, no, it, it's it's hard to be upset with this pick. We can <laughs> nitpick it all you want, but when it comes down to it, it's a strong pick, and and you're you're honestly thankful that Elijah Green felt yeah. here. I mean, Mike Rizzo and uh, director of VP of Scouting Operations Chris Klein must have just been fist pumping yeah. as soon as they saw Kumar Rocker go off the board at number three overall. So that's a huge selection for the Nationals. Again, doesn't completely transition this 
farm system into a top 10 farm system by any means, but it definitely helps. He's definitely going to be one of their top prospects moving forward, someone to keep an eye on. Um, we have not heard from Chris Klein yet tonight. We will later tonight as the second round wraps up. The Nationals have one more pick tonight, number 45 overall in the second round. Um, so we'll hear from that person uh, later tonight and, and Chris Klein later tonight. And then the draft continues on Monday and Tuesday, uh, the days of the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. Any final thoughts before we move on to our second topic of the night before we kind of get out of here? No, I think it's exciting. He can hit. He hits he for hit. power. He can run. Good foundation and go from there. We will. You can hear uh, Elijah Green's entire. I guess you want to. You can call it a press conference um, from after being it's selected by the Nationals. A little noisy at his party, noise. but it'll be on the Masson Nationals YouTube page later tonight, and of course the Masson app. And then interviews with uh, the second round pick and Chris Klein will be up as well. Amy Jennings will have full coverage of. I guess the first two rounds mm -hmm. tomorrow on Mass on All Access, I'll be here joining you as well. So we'll have plenty to discuss more on Elijah Green, the second round pick for here from Chris Klein. Um, a lot to talk about tomorrow morning after the wrap up of the second round. All right, let's move on to we would be done right now if it's not for this a uh, little bit of nugget of news. <laughs> there's there's the Amy. We have that uh, as a gift somewhere. And yeah. the, the, the Amy like, mm. oh, my gosh, what are we uh, looking <laughs> to the camera again? Saturday morning. Everyone thought it was just going to be a nice, easy Saturday. Watch the Nationals-Braves game. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic drops a bombshell that Juan Soto has rejected a 15-year, $440 million contract offer from the Nationals. And then the Nationals, this is the interesting part, will entertain trading Juan Soto at this year's trade deadline. Lots to unpack here, Amy. First off, I, I, I will say that the first part of the news wasn't really news in my mind. Um, that's an offer. That's an offer that Juan Soto should reject. End of story. The interesting part to me is that the Nationals will, are entertaining the idea of trading him this year uh, while his value has never been higher. Why uh, his value has never been higher? Okay. He has two and a half more years on his contract. Yep. Why would you trade him now? If you think he is worthy of $440 million in 15 years. Over 15 he, years. Yeah. You think he's going to be good for the next yeah. <laughs> decade and a half. That's an interesting way to put it. Why would you trade him now? Because clearly you don't think his value is going to decline all that much. So from what we've understand, this is reports from all over the place, including our own Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. What I gather is, and this is the part that not worries me, but makes me question what's happening here is that the $440 million apparently is the highest that the learners for right now are willing to go for him. Um, over it would the, also be the highest in history. Highest in history. Average annual value is not. That right. would be only 20th right now in baseball. I think Juan Soto is deserving more of the 20th highest average annual value. Uh, but those are also, you know, the leader is Max Scherzer, but his contract's only three years long. So, but whatever. <laughs> my my thing is why you you're right it's a if you're willing to commit this guy for 15 years and he says no then why and all of a sudden you're gonna flip the switch and then trade trade him i guess my my question is is if the learners and this is a huge part of it that the ownership future is in hanging in the balance we don't know what it's going to be are the learners the right people to be making this decision right now they should be making every effort they can to re-sign him, 
But to trade him, I don't think it should be up to them. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. Because what? why trade him in two weeks? And then if you get an owner this offseason that comes in, hey, I, I would have written him a blank check. Then you just let Juan Soto basically walk out the it's door? It's such a weird, like, the timing right now is so weird because they announced so early or we found out so early that they were looking into selling the team and then the owners don't meet until whenever it is again, October or September, uh, November, November yeah, or something series. like that. And that's when they would vote on it, vote on a new owner and yada, yada, yada. So this, these next few months, which could be crucial for the future of this organization, are still really in the hands of the learners who the organization is not going to be in the hands of for right. when, you know, <laughs> and, it, it's just a weird time. And I heard Mark Zuckerman make this point that I don't think is being talked about enough. The details of the contract... 15 years, $440 million, under $30, under $30 million per year, but heavily backloaded. Right. Who's paying that in a couple of, in the back end of that road, that contract? It's not the learners. So, of course, it's backloaded. They're going right. to pay as little as they can over the first couple of years while they're still owners or partial owners. And then whoever comes in next to take over from them is going to have to right. deal with that contract. It's, it's, it's the, the moment, we, I mean, we, we talk about this and, Everyone knew this. The moment that the Nationals became available for sale, Juan Soto's future just became even a bigger question mark. mark. Because, yes, him as a player makes his franchise more valuable. But if he is tied to this franchise for 15 years and at this rate over $450 million, almost $500 million, who's going to be like, well, I don't want to pay that? Is it better? Or how do I build a team around that? Right. You're going to have to get like a Steve Cohen-esque owner in here who's not going to care about the luxury task who's not going to care about just signing checks and just like yeah sure let's go win with Juan Soto and is it so much about the contract which I'm sure that's a big part of it but it is it or is it mostly Juan Soto just has his mind up he's reaching for agency and that's that well he's going to reach for agency there's I mean, is there like any think, number that would do it right now? No, right now, I would say no. I don't think so. So then it's it would have, like, you would have to, which is impossible right now, you would have to project what he's going to make in the next two years of arbitration and then go beyond that right now and then give it to him. Yeah. So here's the thing. Both of these things can be true. One, the Nationals gave him a real big-time offer. $440 million over 15 years is nothing to laugh about. Sure, the average annual value is lower, but that's still a lot of money. Two, Juan Soto is correct in rejecting that offer. He should say no. Because, and I think not enough people re- realize this and it's not talked about enough, is that he's making $17.13 million this year mm-hmm. that he earned through arbitration. He's going to get somewhere in the mid-20s next year or this, this offseason through arbitration. He has to go through one more time because he's a Super 2. He could make over $30 million a it's year true. in two years through arbitration alone, and then that's the floor. So this average annual value of 29-ish that's a really good point, is not yeah. enough. I think that's, yeah, I so think there's that's a really good point. The, and yes, the, you're trading job security by signing right now for the risk of a catastrophic injury, production going down, for the upside of cashing out big when you hit free agency. I don't, you know, he could look at, if I'm Juan Soto, I'm looking at my friend Ronald Acuna Jr. who signed a big contract, but he's way underpaid now for what he should be worth. So the the system is in place, the arbitration system is in place where that 
if he goes through it two more times, like I believe he will and he should, that that is going to be the floor of his next contract. It's not going to be yeah. 17 or 29. He's going to make more than that in two years. And Juan Soto was saying how frustrated he was that this got out, and it's unfortunate timing because he's about to go to the All-Star game, and it's going to be the big you know, talk of the town. But do yeah. you think there's a little bit of it where I that – I mean, him himself, I guess, might be upset. But, like – how does it get out a and b do you think that works to his advantage or is boris is saying well this isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's only driving your price up and allows open negotiations and whatever i yeah do you think he's really upset yes i do i do i i was not in the clubhouse when he spoke to the media that day um but i did see the video um i did hear from people who were there. Um, he was upset. He was very upset, actually. Um, and to me, that means it sounds like the Nationals let this out. And from their standpoint, they're doing that so other teams know. They're trying to gauge what they could possibly get back right. from him. Again, this does not mean that the Nationals are trading Juan Soto in two weeks. I, th I still think it's very unlikely they do. But you can't not pick up the phone. You can try to, if you're under the assumption that, all right, we're not going to be able to resign this guy or let's start trying to figure out what we could get now so we kind of can formulate our goal to what we would want in return if and when we do trade him this offseason or before next year's trade dead deadline. Um, so I, I think it was the Nationals letting go because Bryce, I mean, Bryce, Juan Soto and Scott Boris don't really gain anything from this being out. Um, I guess other than... You know, I mean, oh, teams knowing what 440 offer, million what won't do it. So, to, yeah. yeah. So, all right, you got to go higher. What it's going to take. But, so the downside of this coming out, though, for the Nationals is that, you know, of course, they're the only ones who can make offers to Juan Soto. They're only bidding against themselves. So by this coming out, yes, now everyone else knows that that's it's, it's going to take helping. more than that. But 29 other teams can't make a bid for Juan Soto right now. Only right. the Nationals can. And so... Every time they let something out like this out and people know, they're just upping the ante for themselves. Right. I mean, that, and that's... <laughs> right, and, and I agree with you. I think it's so unlikely that he will be traded, especially this season. I don't think any team is going to be willing to offer up the amount and quality of prospects that it's going to take to move Juan Soto. It's just, just not realistic. Also, you're trying to rebuild. There's nobody else on this roster right now that can be the cornerstone the one solid yeah. foundation of this rebuild not one other player the idea i guess would be that if you do trade him that we just talked about how elijah green isn't turning this right now isn't turning this uh farm system into a top farm system by himself a juan soto package would you're getting Fair. back someone or a group of prospects an organization's probably a, an organization with a top farm system their top prospects and therefore you're becoming yeah, a top farm system. I just think, and true, but then you're just setting your rebuild back five years. Well, I don't know if you're... Mm, you might be fast-tracking it. I mean, you're not going to win again with Juan Soto, clearly, but you could have guys that are close to major league ready in two to three years, not five years, I would say. Because the idea would be you're getting guys who could... You're not getting double-A guys. Closest thing or to like, a short thing. Yeah. You're getting top and double-A, right. triple-A prospects that will be ready, and you're not getting like... 
you know, I just, projects. You're getting right. top guy. But my, my thing is that you there, there's no way to determine Juan Soto's value in prospects, right? Like we can try to put a a, a dollar sign to it, but in terms of prospects, it's like you've seen like a bunch of what, what would it take to sign Juan Soto? Here's what every team could offer to get Juan Soto. It's almost impossible to tell because you see all these like top prospects packages and you're like, is that enough? Or is that too much? I don't know. You, you right. can't deter. You can't like. I just yeah. how many prospects equals one Juan Soto? I mean, it's and again, how many teams? There's only like probably three or four teams that could offer up a realistic package right now mm-hmm. for him. And I just don't think it's I no. Just, I don't think it's gonna and I, it either. doesn't make sense. It just I just I don't think it makes sense to this organization right now. But at the same time, it doesn't make sense to even offering him that contract really makes sense because a you're you're just bidding against yourself again and b the uncertainness of the future owners of this organization yeah that that part is 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 a big question mark but i guess the only the only benefit of doing it now is that if you get somehow get him to agree to a contract now you're maybe saving yourself some money down the line but like we said, every time you do it, you're just bidding. Right. It, you're just raising but and you raising and raising. Did agree that you don't think any number will get it done for Juan Soto before. Well, he here's just the th- so that um, here's the thing I thought of too is that people have compared this, and we can talk about this. Nationals not being able to retain their own talents, but you know, in, in the form of like Bryce Harper, and even to a lesser extent, but it's kind of still similar. Anthony Rendon, we knew what they wanted, right? We knew Bryce wanted a no trade clause highest contract ever at the time and all the years high years and um high aav and he wanted to never be a free agent again and you got that in 13 years 330 million dollars with the phillies we don't know what juan soto wants we don't and he said this as much when he spoke to the media on saturday he's like i i, I want rather keep his stuff close to the chest like, can i get keep that? it private yeah. yeah and i respect that um, I would kind of want that too. It's like kind of awkward having mm-hmm. it out in the public. We know Bryce Harper didn't have an issue with that. Juan Soto doesn't want it to be a public thing. But in that, we don't know what Juan Soto wants. And is the it, years is it, could have been a part of that too. That's what I'm 15 saying. 15 years. Is it the years? Is it, does he want a higher AAV? Does he want the record for AAV? We probably can assume he wants the record for largest contract. But, you know, if the Nationals were to shorten this to 13 or 12 years, that increases the AAV, I think, closer to like 35-ish. And that puts you around with like Garrett Cole, closer to Max Scherzer, is 43.3. So would that work? It, it, or right. does he not want to be tied down to one place for 15 years? I mean, th- so that's the thing. We don't know in this negotiation, we as the public media fans, we don't know what Juan wants. Only Juan, Scott Boris, and maybe into the Nationals to a lesser extent right. know what he wants and how to work this out. We knew what Bryce Harper and Anthony. We knew we knew Anthony Rendon didn't want that long of a contract, but he wanted a lot of money. We know Juan Soto wants a lot of money, but we just don't know the the minute details right. that we knew for these other past negotiations. I think that that is a really good point too. We're just going to be talking about this nonstop probably for the next two years, um, and I think it's just going to keep going on and on and on. Yeah, because if we knew that he, oh he wants the AAV, okay, well then just shorten the years, increase the AAV. Why wouldn't he sign then? He still won't do it, but we would know better like the path but to also, get to I think him to sign. W- true. But, and I, I think it, if you look at the contract, you can kind of get a gauge for what he wants because they're negotiating, you know, they're going yeah. back and forth. They didn't just, the nationals didn't just throw out a number there 
throw out you know an amount of years out there and just hope it's something one that would want they have most likely been in talks with him and it's somewhere close to what he wants in terms of you know yeah there's just no but, reason for him to sign right, right. now it would have and to I be get, I, yeah would you <laughs> i mean it would have to, i mean no, 440 no. million dollars <laughs> but again you're trading i mean like if juan really wants to be here right and you know if a new owner come, comes and says all right here here's half a billion dollars yeah. right now if you take it right now for 12 over 12 years whatever many years you mm-hmm. want it to be um you know maybe that's something he would want to do but again it, it's not to his benefit the ball is 100 percent in Juan Soto's court so he as has the opportunity and the advantage of just waiting it out and right. becoming a free agent and letting the bidding war amongst 30 teams begin um, but the Nationals have the benefit right now of being the only team who can bid and try to get it done soon. But I just don't think it's going to yeah. happen. And I think it's kind of news that's been blown up into bigger news because I don't think they're going to treat him. No. You know, it's another offer. Yeah. It's along the lines of what we kind of have been hearing the last few weeks. I don't know. I, and if and one more aspect of it before, I mean, I know it's getting late. We, we want to kind of wrap it up and, you know, we have a long draft ahead of us. But... Juan Soto, why what ben, why would he want to sign right now? What he what proof does he have that this team is going to be good again, competing again in a short period of time? They have the worst record in the majors. They right. just lost what was it, fourteen out of fifteen, fifteen out of sixteen of their games before winning today. So, a bad farm system, an ownership group that is unclear at this point. So why would you commit yourself for this long of a term without knowing or having some sort of idea of what's going to happen? If I'm Juan Soto, I'm not only waiting out two more years to get my pay raise in arbitration, but I'm also seeing how this team's going to look. Even just the next few months are just so uncertain for the Nationals. Yeah. And then for the National side, Amy, can they really afford to let Juan Soto walk or, or get rid of or, you know, trade him? After and, Bryce Harper, after Anthony Rendon, after Trey Turner, I mean, how much more of this fan base is going to tolerate a superstar leaving? Right. A and, homegrown superstar. And that's why I kind of brought up, like, you can deal with the rebuild when you have something to rebuild around. And if they let Juan Soto walk, who are they building around? I mean, they it's like starting from scratch. And that's why I think even if you get a haul of good closest to a sure thing in prospects that you can get back Mm -hmm. it's still not as sure of a thing as Juan Soto and I just think not only disappointing the fan base but just setting the team back in you know the years that it will take to be competitive I just I don't know so many moving parts so many factors to all of this um we could talk about this for all night I mean it's just there's just different branches we can go off of and discuss but um we had to talk about it right now because it was obviously news over the yep. weekend. Um, something to keep track of. Again, don't think he's going to be traded by August 2nd. But, you know, now that the first round of the draft is over and there's a couple more rounds to go. But after the All-Star break, that's the next biggest day on the calendar for this franchise, um, the trade deadline. And who they're going to depart with, who they're going to get in return, setting up for the future and hopefully getting closer to being competitive again mm-hmm. um, than the opposite. So it'll be interesting to see. I, Teams are going to be calling, and you know which teams it's going to be. It's going to be the Yankees, the Mets. Well, Rizzo want to trade within the division. Um, The Dodgers, a couple other teams that have strong uh, farm systems, but 
again, unlikely, but something to keep in, keep in track on and monitor over the next couple of weeks. It will be interesting. Very interesting. And I think it'll be even more than the next few weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be the next two but, years. At yeah. least the next year. At least the offers, I think, that come in will be interesting. It is. I, say, I mean, you just hope it wasn't just a PR move for the Nationals to make that offer, have it rejected, and then leak it. That they, Hey, look, we tried. Well, did you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, what we've it's been a, it's, a, it's an offer, but that's, it's not the best offer. Right, and that's what you said all along. Like, the Nationals have to make a real solid mm-hmm. offer so that if he ends up reaching free agency and walking, you feel fine that you did your best yeah. to keep him. Yeah, and then you have to make a decision to trade him. Um, all right. Well, any other one sort of thoughts? I think that's all. A lot of them run through my mind. I'll, I'll come up with them some more as I'm on my way home tonight. Um, but uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Big shout-out to Tim Leonard for producing the show behind the scenes and uh, getting all of our stuff ready to go. Um, Amy, we will be back tomorrow morning, Monday morning on Mass and All Access. Again, talking about Elijah Green um, and their second-round pick tonight. We'll hear from Chris Klein later tonight as well. Um, breaking down all down on Mass and All Access, you and I. So be sure to tune that. Hit like and subscribe on Mass and National's Facebook page and YouTube channel. And of course, subscribe to the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. At Amy Jennings News for Amy on Twitter. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco at Mass and Nationals across the board for full draft coverage this week and home run derby and all star game coverage. There's Juan Soto going to LA to compete in both of those um, events over this week. We'll be back tomorrow morning. That's going to do it for this week's of the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks for staying up late with us. We'll talk to you next time.